you're fed up with the nine to five. You've been working hard for years and you're just not seeing the results you want. You want to break free from the traditional career, but don't know how. Business Breaks is here to help. Today's discussion is entrepreneurship. And what does that mean when you're just starting out in business for yourself as either an employee or contractor? So how do you switch from just having one big client or employer to having multiple customers and actually solving business problems independently, taking charge of your destiny, owning your future. So, John, any thoughts? Well, I suppose one of the key things is to differentiate, you know, what is an entrepreneur and what isn't an entrepreneur. So as you kind of said there, you know, an entrepreneur, I suppose, is not somebody who has just set up their own company to continue working for one employer as an employee, but for tax reasons. (laughs) <laughs> is doing it through a company that's not an entrepreneur that's still an employee just it, it's not a legal definition entrepreneur but then i suppose the other thing is a lot of people who are who wouldn't consider themselves entrepreneurs probably are i mean you know historically lots of people um would call themselves self-employed they're entrepreneurs yeah. they're running a business it doesn't mean that you have to have created something new or exciting or an entrepreneur is just somebody who's running their own business working for themselves effectively being self-employed it's just a new term for self-employed yeah and then the extent to how successful you are shows really how how effective you were at identifying a problem in the market or a gap in the market and then serving it well and actually setting up your business to be successful Mm. i think yeah my dad was an entrepreneur if you will if you consider him a corner shop owner someone who served his community but never really had the ambition and when he retired he looked back on his career if you will and he said well i i was a donkey i you know there were a lot of instances i remember He didn't have any employees. He did hire one of his friend's sons uh, once. And and guess what happened? Um, Friend's son actually fell in with the wrong crowd. And this is my dad owning an off license. He um, because they pressured him, he actually opened the back door and they started stealing alcohol and cigarettes uh, from the storage room in the back of the shop. So uh, I think he learned what he learned was never to trust anyone who wasn't family so inevitably we ended up being the shall we say workers so from about nine years old i would be minding the shop stacking shelves doing all of that and my brother and sisters would do the same it's kind of like a badge of honor and it was also a way to relate or, or get quality time with our dad because he got up at six o'clock in the morning and finished at uh, 10 30 11 o'clock at night so when you think about entrepreneurship being hustle, <laughs> my dad was the original hustler. In fact, I hardly hardly remember if he even got any sleep, <laughs> which is funny, actually, because now, I mean, entrepreneurs say it's easier to make money today than ever before. If you imagine it, in order to be in order to have presence, you needed to either be a top celebrity or have a lot of money so you could pay for a TV studio, recording equipment, sound equipment, um, professional camera editors. And that probably didn't come cheap, you know, when we were starting out. And now kids, they can just do everything from their mobile phones. And it's going to continue to evolve as people start to um, move into these areas. So you have to continuously adapt not just your services, but also the messaging behind that. And I think it's an interesting place to be in at the moment because there's a lot of things that are really happening in the background that are really competitive. And sometimes it feels like a race to the bottom. What do you think, John? Well, I suppose it depends on what you're choosing to be an entrepreneur in. I mean, you know, an online entrepreneur, the ones that the influencers, all that type of thing. That's only one type of um, entrepreneurship. I mean, you know, again, like your father was the shopkeeper, lots of, of shopkeepers now. OK, it's slightly changed, certainly in Ireland, and that there's very few mm. independent corner shops anymore. But what there are are a lot of franchise holders. So they'll there's a few brands, but it's still an independent shop. They've just gone in for that. But they are entrepreneurs. They're running a business. You know, my father was a, an upholsterer all his life and, you know, was self-employed. He did at various times. He hired people at one time. He was one of the largest bed manufacturers in Ireland. 
But again, he wasn't motivated to be the biggest or the best. He was motivated to just have the freedom that was associated with working for yourself, not having to report to a boss, being the boss. So it would go up and it would go down and he didn't really care. <laughs> he enjoyed the challenge, I think, of building it up. And then once it was built up, he'd take a step back, kind of leave it to run itself. It would collapse and then he'd start from scratch again and build her up and did that several times over his lifetime. But, you know, again, that's there. He was an entrepreneur, not called that at the time, just called himself self-employed and that was it. Nowadays, you'll have plumbers, you know, bricklayers, electricians. They all go out on their own and they're entrepreneurs. Sure, very few of them call themselves entrepreneurs, but they are. You don't have to be having a YouTube channel with a million followers to be an entrepreneur. You don't have to be creating anything brand new. Actually, very few successful businesses that, you know, you would think of as, well, they were entrepreneurs. Very few of them created anything. Mm. Brand new. You know, you, you look at Google, there were search engines long before Google. They, and they didn't even try, they weren't even trying to create a business. They created a product that they tried to sell to somebody else. Nobody would buy it. And by default, they ended up doing it themselves. And then it just, their, their search engine was that bit better than everybody else's. Most people use it. The same with, you know, Steve Jobs and Apple in the shed. They were entrepreneurs, but again, they weren't inventing that new. They were taking what they'd seen in other mm. places that and, and improving it and, and selling it to a different market. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there who just don't consider themselves entrepreneurs. They're, they're thinking that, no, to be an entrepreneur, I have to be in the IT space. I have to create a new product, a new software. I have to be online. I have to have followers and that. And, well, actually, no. <laughs> and to be a successful one, you certainly don't need to be great and that new. What you need to do is use something that already exists and improve it. Yeah. So improvement is very much, a, I guess, a key to success. If you define success as commercial, but yeah. I guess there's also other, shall we say, measures or definitions of what success could mean. That's and, it. Uh, like, like, hmm. like with my father, success was freedom. Hmm. He didn't work, you know, 16 hour shifts every day. He, I, he'd do it at the beginning. He'd he'd work hard at the beginning to build her up. But once he built her up, he was um, happy to step aside and leave it. And then it was, you know, again, I suppose it depends on on the mindset of the people that you have working for you. They weren't entrepreneurs, you know. They they weren't thinking. They weren't business people. Mm. So once he'd kind of start t- stepping aside and leaving them to run the business, it would tend to start going downhill and he'd kind of let it. He didn't, you know, mind that they'd then start going out. They'd, they'd go off to work on their own, but wouldn't do it successfully. So then his business would kind of come to an end, but then he'd start up again from scratch and build her up. The one thing he always did was the, the machines that you use for making beds, tape edge machine. He had his tape edge machine and always kept that never transferred that into a company that was always his which meant he always had it to start from scratch again but his his idea of success was was not money it was freedom and i'm sure a lot of people that's my idea of success i'm not out looking to be a a billionaire or a millionaire Mm. i just like the freedom of being able to pick and choose what projects i do what i get involved in what i don't and when i want to have a break i can take a break yeah and freedom's so valuable I mean, when you think about it, modern employment is modern serfdom, where you have a lord, an overlord, your executive or your boss, who tells you exactly what to do, when to do it, and then they either reward you <laughs> or they punish you. And that punishment could it could equate to a sacking, could equate to a warning, could equate to a poor performance review, which leads to either less or no bonus whatsoever. And that's that's kind of that's frustrating as well. I mean, when you think about it, adults being treated like naughty kids because they didn't deliver results and they can't explain away why they didn't achieve the results they should have done. But again, maybe it could have been for a number of reasons. Maybe the results were unrealistic. Maybe they didn't have the tools. Maybe they just didn't have the skills. And, um, or maybe something happened externally that was outside their existing level of capability. And it may have been something in the market. Cause usually a business doesn't matter how good the business is. Doesn't matter how sound the fundamentals are. If you have something like a pandemic or even a war, that's going to 
blow your business out of the water potentially unless you're able to pivot or or adapt i guess that's um and if you're a brick and mortar business in the ukraine that must be a challenge mm, yeah there's, there's challenges i suppose with being an employee and challenges with being a self-employed and entrepreneur mm, yeah I mean, you get the the security with an employee. You're not responsible for being paid. The employer has to figure out how their business is going to generate an income to keep you a salary. And then, obviously, even processing your payroll so that your tax is deducted at source. So as an employee, you don't have to worry about that. You just get money inside in into your bank account. But then when you're a self-employed, as long as you've got an income coming in, <laughs> even as a contractor, that's not a big issue. You hire an accountant and they calculate it all for you including your p11ds etc so yeah there's i guess there's pros and cons and there's also ways to make that the admin less burdensome because you can outsource a lot of it and really you should be doing that to leaving it to people who know how to do it who can do it quite quickly rather than paying someone or giving it as an extra task even if it's like not their core skill because you never know they may they may mess it up, but then I guess if you if you're um, if you're paying someone and you're paying them cheap, you could be messing it up as well. <laughs> that's, uh, I think that that's the thing that you know. I suppose entrepreneurs do need to think of that. Yeah, you can outsource certain things. You can outsource your accounts. You can outsource admin. You can outsource mm-hmm. the standard. But one thing you can't really outsource is if you're an entrepreneur, you're a marketer. You know, you can you can get a marketing consultant to help you in that, but you have to market your own business. And I think that's probably where, you know, certain certain entrepreneurs, maybe not so much like your father was in a bricks and mortar shop. The shop was was his marketing, but he still had to do a certain amount of marketing, his branding is to keep the outside of the shop clean, to, to make it welcoming, yeah. to keep inside it organized and clean. Mm. He His challenge, I suppose, was stock take was supply chain effectively to not have too much of stuff that that's slow moving but to make sure he had enough of the fast moving stuff that he wasn't always out of stock of important things that people would start going to a different shop because they couldn't rely on with others i mean even plumbers or, or whatever that it's very rare that people will come looking for you you need to be able to market yourself to make yourself available to people i think that's probably the biggest challenge a lot of entrepreneurs have a lot of entrepreneurs are really good at something. But I suppose there's two two types of entrepreneurs. One who's really good at something, like your plumber, your shopkeeper, your upholsterer, whoever. But they're they're not necessarily good at marketing themselves. That that's they had an employer who looked after finding customers, and they went and did the work. Now they have to find their own customers, and that can be difficult. Even if in early early on you've you've got loads lined up, when you've done all them, you need to have had some kind of marketing so that you can find new ones. And then the second type of entrepreneur would be the one with the great idea, mm. but they don't necessarily know how to implement it. So many things to think about. If you want to be successful, I mean, you could, if you're funded, you could just mess around and just run down the cash in your business until it has no business. Or if you're really serious and you're bootstrapping and you're trying to just grow as quickly as possible because you perceive that there's a limited time to actually make an impact and grow that market, then you probably, probably have more pressure. You probably feel like time is precious and that all you can do is focus on that one thing. And as you say, there's no entrepreneur without a business, regardless of the size and scope. It's just, again, how well you do it and how well you seize the opportunity. But it seems like that entrepreneur term is is associated with people who end up creating these unicorns. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it's not, though. That's the thing. That's what, you know, we're saying yeah. they're very rare. And most unicorns fail. Yeah. You know, but there are lots of, of entrepreneurs who don't do that. It's only that they, they get to be the one of the reasons why that you, you get to hear them more and you think of them more is because one thing they are generally very good at is marketing. They market mm. themselves really well. So that's who you hear of. You don't hear of all the other smaller entrepreneurs who are just going about their business quietly. But they do need to know how to market as well. I suppose that's that's the key thing. If you want to run your own business, you need to market yourself. You don't have to do it online. You don't have to have a hundred thousand or a million followers if you're a local business, but you still need to make sure that the people, your potential customers locally know you exist. 
So if they don't know you exist, your business is going to go bust fairly quick. And that can be the biggest challenge because, you know, as I said, a lot of entrepreneurs are just very good at what they do, but what they do might not be marketing. Mm. And they can't, they, and their business will fail because of that. Um, or they have a great idea, but they don't know how to implement it. They get some funding, whether it's bootstrapping or whether it's somebody else putting in the money. But mm. They're just born through that money because they don't know, you know, they, they can't, they're, they're, they're doing marketing. Maybe they're doing marketing, but their marketing is to build in more funds. But then mm. they don't know how to take that next step and actually develop the product or service that, that, that they've been marketing. I'd imagine that they're probably the two biggest challenges that entrepreneurs have. Mm. The successful ones manage to to balance the marketing and the practicalities of delivering a service or product, and, and that's the key the key challenge. Which is why you'll often find a lot of successful entrepreneurs are on their third or fourth business. They've learned the hard way. You know, they, they've a, 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 at least one, if not more, failed businesses behind them because they got the balance wrong. They didn't market enough, or they marketed great, but they didn't get the practicalities right. And it's, it's, you know, later on, they, they get the balance right. They've learned from their mistakes and they've done it. So I suppose that's the other thing. If, if you've got any budding entrepreneurs, <clears throat> it's a failure shouldn't put them off yeah. as long as they learn from it. If they go and do the exact same thing again, they, they'll get the same results. But if they've learned, what did they do wrong? And it'll generally be one of those two things because that's, I, I think, the key thing to entrepreneurship is get the marketing and get the practicalities right. You know, I'm using practicalities to mean product or service. You know, it doesn't matter what you're doing as an entrepreneur, whatever your business is, but get the the key things right there. But but marketing as well, and get that balance right. You know, you've seen so many of these, um, you know, budding entrepreneurs who um, get the marketing perfect, but it's all vaporware because they didn't get the other side right, and they never actually delivered a use product or service so you need to get right both right yeah yeah thanks john that's really insightful i mean um two things that i got from that was as you say as an entrepreneur if you're looking to create something that actually has legs you need to be prepared to make a lot of mistakes especially if you're starting out unless you have some really high level support either mentorship or a framework or a or a lot large network of connections who are who will help you succeed, who will be able to give you the time and attention to point out your errors. That's one way of de-risking that. And even to the extent that they could promote, if you have that network to promote your product or service. But as you say, the substance needs to be there. And it's interesting when you say vaporware. When I hear the word vaporware, I think about the metaverse. At this stage, it's it's something that's a concept, maybe has potential, but no back end. So no delivery framework to actually create something that has value is just a bit of a pipe dream at the moment. And it's more than I, I guess the marketing is connecting the customer to your product or service, but the product or service has to be there. It has to be functional in the sense that it has to solve a problem or fulfill the need. Without that, you have no customer. And if you're just marketing without anything in the back end, then you're just leading people to disappointment because the product at the end of the day is what's going to solve the problem. If it's designed, if it's delivered correctly, and here's where execution is everything. I mean, you can execute a brilliant marketing strategy, but if what you offer doesn't actually help your customer or move them forward in their own personal journey or struggle that you're trying to help them with, then you've got nothing. And the marketing actually will probably backfire because now you've created a lot of attention from a lot of dissatisfied people who will probably go back and say, well, actually, don't go with this because he's at, he doesn't know what he's doing and he's he's actually made it worse. It's interesting when you think about it that you have to have so many pieces working together and optimised so that they synchronise well. I've seen it in large organisations that, you know, they become too big to fail and then they become disconnected from that customer in the sense that they... They feel like, well, they can dictate terms. The customer is loyal to the brand so they can be abused. But then customers will, most customers, should I say, will only take crap for so long. If there's a superior product and they get wind of it, they'll move. But it's getting that message because there is certainly a 
I guess brand is a shortcut for not having to do market research. If you know something is good enough, you're less likely to switch once you've been indoctrinated to a certain product or brand. And that's where it becomes that much more difficult as long as the incumbent can still serve their existing customer base unless something happens like there's a movement and then you get referrals and then they try it and then they suddenly think well actually this is a lot better i'm gonna switch now there's there's very it's the same with banks right people don't generally switch bank accounts unless there's a massive failure in the on the bank's part so yeah this is the thing is not just when you get success, but even when you reach a certain level where it becomes a self-sustaining business and, dare I say, even making a bit of profit more than what you need to live off. How do you how do you keep that sustained pace? And does growth is growth necessary? Because if you don't grow, you fall, you, you decline, especially now with high inflation, it's Businesses are trying to offset the increased salaries that they have to pay with raising prices. But does the cust- does the market have enough appetite to, s- to support that price rise? Or are you just playing economics where you find you're selling less but selling it at a higher transaction cost? I don't know. It's, uh, I guess it depends on each, each case and how good your product is and how effective it is with your customers. I suppose though, if you're the solopreneur, that's one thing that you can, you know, bit of pressure off in the sense that you don't have to worry about generating enough money to pay other people. Mm. And if your business is starting to fail, you'll, if you have, if you either understand accounts yourself and are doing them, or if you have a good accountant, you'll get a heads up. Yeah. That, um, whereas with your, as an employee, your heads up will come when you're kind of being handed your notes. But, but as a, as the main guy yourself, you'll, you'll have warning. You'll see. Yeah. It's going down and, and whether marketing or, or product or service will make any difference or if it's just, but you know, again, that just, I suppose is that's business. It's not just current. It's always like that, that it's always been like that or somebody will deliver something better. If you haven't developed, if you've just, you know, doing the same thing, like, uh, well, the, the, the plumbing example here in Ireland, plumbers who haven't kept up their training can't do gas boilers, gas installs anymore. They have to be, mm. they have to keep up. So they've lost out a lot because oftentimes that's your in, you know, that people are looking to get mm. their gas boiler service or whatever. And, and that's how they, they then find a plumber to do other mm. things. But then also now in a few years time, they're banning new gas boilers to get heat pumps. So again, if you haven't been keeping up with that, you, you need to be either preparing to retire before that happens or preparing to have trained yourself up. And a heat pump is a completely different thing because it's got nothing to do with gas at all. It's electric. So, um, <laughs> you know, how are they going to, how do those type of entrepreneurs going to, to walk through that? How are they going to prepare for that in the future? Those who aren't preparing for it are going to be in trouble when it happens. Yeah, well, retraining is a con- constant, isn't it? Because the market will adapt, regulations will change, and you just have to be ahead of it, or at least keeping up with it in the sense that those forward-thinking plumbers who, who have become experts in installing heat pumps um, will just will just corner the market, right? They will probably have the relationships with the OEMs, or at least the distributors, be able to probably negotiate lower rates per unit and then offer that service to people and actually i would say contractually they'd be able to market that as an advantage and then on the flip side there may be plumbers who end up specializing in the boiler technology and just saying look you don't want to waste you know spending oh god knows how many hundreds of pounds or even thousands of pounds replacing your your uh your combi boiler off I'll repair it, um, but it'll cost you just slightly less. <laughs> I don't know. There's there's also a market for servicing old technology, but that also comes, I guess, at a cost in the sense that if you're not careful, you could end up being that person who's servicing, who's competing with other out-of-date plumbers who, who can only service a limited set of uh, scenarios. 
But I don't know. Uh, do plumbers, I guess, do professional tradesmen have to meet certain standards? They must have CPD as well. Well, they, they certainly, anybody who, at least I'm assuming it's the same in the UK, but here in mm. Ireland, if you're, if you're working on gas or electricity, mm. you have to be quali- you, you have to be on the register. So electricians and plumbers who, who, plumbers who do gas. Now there are plumbers who just do plumbing. Nothing to do with, don't touch gas. Mm. They'd be okay, but the ones who are kind of doing the, the gas installs have to, they have to be on the register and that means they have to have CPD to, to show they've kept up with the latest things in gas. And the electricians who, well, all electricians have to be on the electrical register so that, you know, they, they've kept up to date with all the latest safety requirements mm. and that, that that's done. So, um, and it's getting more restrictive mm. that, you know, it, it's, it's reaching a stage now where well, it was kind of almost there was the register and you were recommended to use it. Now it's mm. becoming a requirement that it, it's illegal to go and get somebody unqualified to to do certain things. And, and I assume that's, that'll be the same for, you know, OK, most trades probably don't do that and that kind of thing. But it, it's still going to be, you know, if, if you're a bricklayer, mm. it's going to be new technologies coming along, new ways to, to make it more secure, do it and all that. Yeah, there might not be a legal requirement for you to keep up to date, but, you know, if somebody else comes along with a, a better way of building the wall or the shed or or the house and you're still doing last century's way, you haven't kept up, very few people are going to use you. Mm. And the only way that you get used is if you put your prices so low that you know, or it might not even be to do with that. It could be to do it well. Your old tech, your old way of doing things requires yeah. old technology, which is now very, very expensive. And the reason that other people have moved on and, and developed new technologies is not because it's particularly better than the old technology. It's because it can be done a lot cheaper than the old technology. So as prices rise, they can still maintain their their prices, whereas you suddenly are having to price yourself way out of being competitive because you're using such an out of date technology that the prices have shot up yeah and and coming to that point really gas is is quite an inefficient way to heat up a home i imagine with renewable energy with the fact that you only need wires rather than pipes to transport the the energy to the home i guess especially with the prices of gas these days it seems to be, I don't know, I think it seems to be more more efficient over here if you live in an area that has it. Not all areas have it. It's where, mm. just, you know, the, the thing it can be more efficient for heating up the house mm. cheaper. But, you know, again, that'll, that'll probably all start changing. But the other thing is, I, I don't know about the UK, but here in Ireland, A, we've no nuclear power. And B, our renewables are, are terrible. Electricity is generated mostly by gas here in Ireland. And mm. the main backup to that is coal coal-fired uh, generator so we're not exactly the most <laughs> environmentally friendly producer of electricity here and when they start generating too much electricity the first thing that gets shut down are the renewables the wind turbines you know if too much electricity is being generated onto the grid they shut down the wind turbines you have to be kind of thinking would you not be better off shutting down the gas turbines and, and using up as much thing no that's not how it happens it's they shut down the renewables if they start generating too much electricity. Can't be good for the carbon footprint. <laughs> no, uh, we're, we're terrible for that. So you'd, yeah, you know, and you can drive all the electric cars you want in Ireland, but um, they're all being powered by, you know, yes. not not efficient, um, not not renewable energy. The electricity is being generated by, by very poor uh, things. So, but, you know, I suppose that's nothing to do with entrepreneurship. That's just, uh, unless an entrepreneur comes up with a better way of doing things. Well, mind you, it's not like the cars themselves run on gas. <laughs> <laughs> they need petroleum so and when you think about how it's how it's mined how it's shipped and all the waste from it it's probably still better to burn gas in order to power an electric vehicle than it would be to ship petroleum mm. or diesel i'm but sure it you, is but hmm. it, it's it's just not as much of a saving yeah. as somewhere like uh, you yeah. know that, that generates has yeah. a proper renewable thing but, Again, here in Ireland, they, they don't tend to, um, entrepreneurs aren't really looked after. Mm. There, there is no, here they, they just, um, most of the governments, you they know, don't incentivize are, it. Exactly. Most incentives, most incentivization goes towards foreign direct investment of large mm. multinational companies. Yeah. Um, they're very poor at, at how they encourage entrepreneurs here. They don't, they don't encourage them at all. I mean, 
two of the big, most famous recent ones are the guys um, that create Stripe. Mm. But they went over to the US to do that. They developed it here in Ireland, but then they, they have to, to get it to grow. They, they've gone to the US because they, there's no benefits for them here in Ireland. There was no help for them here in Ireland. Now, if they were to come back, and they are, they, they've got offices now in, um, I think it's up in, in Loud. Well, whatever, they've got offices here now. They've come back over to Ireland. And now they're getting the, the the things because they're bringing effectively foreign direct investment in. But you're kind of thinking, you know, they should never have to live. They should have been able to do all that they did in the US. They should have been able to do here. We should have had the incentives and the benefits here for them to do it. But I think the UK have much better incentives for entrepreneurs as well. Mm. Although I'm not 100% certain what they are. I know I know one of them is uh, you can get when you if you sell out after three years, Mm. Is it ten million pounds tax free you can get mm. for your business it, mm. it, over a lifetime? So it's not just for one business. It, it's you know if you're a serial entrepreneur, mm. the ten million is for everything total. It's not each. But here in Ireland, it's one million euros. Mm. You know what I mean? That it's mm. and that's only recent. That's only a few years old as well. That they they really had to be forced to do that, and they didn't want to. You can't do it in a tax efficient way. To pay with shares here. Mm. So, you know, you, you, all these billionaires and, and multimillionaires from the early days of Google because they effectively worked for almost for free but got shares in the company in return often doesn't pay off and you lose out. You worked for nothing for, for years. But in companies like that, that did make it successful, you've now really gained because you had shares in that company from the early mm-hmm. on. But here in Ireland, that's not a tax efficient way of doing it. Um, so you, very few companies do that because it would actually be penalizing the worker they'd be paying tax on stuff that they didn't get any cash to pay tax mm-hmm. um and you know so here it's very um there's no supports for entrepreneurs they pay lip service to it but they don't actually do anything to benefit them I'm not sure how much better it is in the uk i think one of the best countries in europe is germany because there's lots of small family-run companies in germany and they do encourage it Mm. Well, yeah, I think that's your biggest, probably one of your biggest challenges with being an entrepreneur is no support here. And anyway, I'm not sure, as I said, in the UK, what way it works. Yeah, well, I mean, loans for a start. Um, I know that in the UK, you can get a business loan if you're just starting up your 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 shop. They do have, and I've never tried it. They do have grants as well if you've got some compelling investment scheme. And certainly for like um, I don't know industries where you're you're expecting to set up a a factory, I think you can certainly get grants. So for example, battery technology for vehicles. Um, I know people have successfully applied for grant tech company. You know you can always there's a there's a healthy startup scene where investors can invest, and I believe that the investors themselves have a have so many tax breaks for example if you're um if you're like uh if you invest in a startup you get 50 percent back i believe there's some scheme like that and also if you're a high rate taxpayer i think you, you get the tax you get something of the tax back on on your investment so it's almost like zero risk if you do they, lose money they have similar things like that here but Again, they, that doesn't necessarily benefit the startup. Yeah, uh, that's except it. for and, giving and them cash. Yeah, sorry. There's so there's so many hoops to jump through, and and mm. even like that, it um you have to be a particular type of mm. startup company with high growth and uh, potential in the short term. You know, export the product or service rather than doing it for for Ireland. There's so many issues that um it, it's. You just you think, know, well, if, if, if you've got, if you've de-risked it because you've created a successful business that's growing, why do you want to take anyone's money and then get tied to obligations and unnecessary attention that may actually derail your success? <laughs> yeah, so, and, and like one of the, one of the, the classic things here, now, this is, this is, um, how sly Irish politicians are for paying lip service to it is they'll tell you, well, a startup company in its first three years, of um, I think doesn't have to pay corporation tax. Mm. Yeah, you know, and that sounds oh, geez, that that's good. Then that means you could leave profits in the company. 
But A, how many startup companies, true startup companies, are going to make profits within three years? Yeah. Not that many of them. But B, and here's the, the kicker. This is the slyness of it. The corporation tax, you are still charged corporation tax within that three years. And what you can do is you can net off the employer's PRSI that you pay. Mm-hmm. Um, PRSI is national insurance. It's our national insurance. And there's an employer's, I don't know how it's split in, in the UK, but in Ireland, there's a certain amount that employees pay. And then yeah. there's a larger chunk that employers pay. So what you do is you you work out what your corporation tax each year. So it's it's you know one year at a time. What your corporation tax was. If you made profits, this is what your corporation tax bill would be. And then okay, what employers PRSI have you already paid for that year? And you can net that off against the uh, thing. So basically, you have to in order to not pay corporation tax on any profits you make in those first three years, you have to have paid more employers contribution prsi and again you're thinking hang on this is a startup how many employees are they realistically going to have hired within the first three years you know if it's true startup chances are it's only one person for the first year and that person is the owner is the proprietary director which means they're not paying employers prsi so and, and then by three years you know you, you might have two or three people working for you if, if, if it's in company. There'll be very few that can actually benefit from that. Sounds a bit sly, but also a bit yeah. stupid and nearsighted because you're basically encouraging a business to get fat before it's even even mm. started earning. And, you know, having a, a bloated wage bill on your uh, income, on your expense line is just not gearing any business up for success. No, so and it's not like it's not like it's um, unheard of. I mean, there's limited liability companies, mm. LLCs, in in the US and in other things, where if you leave the profits in the company, you don't pay tax on it. Any money you leave in the company, you only pay tax when you take it out, and that's really, uh, you know, they, they should have that here in Ireland. I think mm. uh, as a company structure, permanently that if you leave money in the company, you're not taking it out, you don't pay tax on it. At the very least, they should allow that for the first three years. But that's the way it is that you can leave profits. If, you may, if you're lucky enough to make profits within three years, you can leave them in the company because you do need them. Um, mm. You can't just take all the money out. You know, I, I, like I, I work for, you know, I'm the only person who works in my company, so I don't leave profits in it. But the first, the first, uh, there is a, a, a level of profit left in the company from early on because um I needed to I needed to leave some money in because a lot of my bills came due in January and my year is from is January to December. So I couldn't take all the money out of the company in December. But that meant I, I actually had to pay because, uh, you know, I'm a proprietary director, which means no employer's PRSI was being paid. So I had nothing to nair off against it. So I had to pay corporation tax on my third year's profits because mm-hmm. I left profits in the company in the third year to pay the bills early mm-hmm. on in the, the following year. And you kind of think that is absolutely ridiculous. That's how I kind of copped on to the slyness of it, because mm. up until then, the advertising was always, yeah, you, you, you know, for four three years, you don't have to worry about corporation tax. But when it actually came down to doing it, that's when you find out about all their, you know, mm. the, the little asterisks, the fine print, their, their terms and conditions. And you mm. realize, hang on a second, there's very few startup companies who will ever be able to avail of this, even those who are lucky enough to make profits in the first three years. That's unbelievable in the sense that do you think it was actually by design to actually incentivize and then play play a bait and switch, if you will? I think it was definitely intentional over here. Um, they, mm. they were coming under stick for not promoting indigenous small businesses. So they came up with this way that they can advertise it. It's, it's like, you know, another way of the, the slyness over here. Years ago, a few years ago now, after the crash and that, um, they they did a thing where they, they introduced a new income tax and they called it USC. So it's not called income tax, it's called USC, Universal Social Charge. And then they, they boasted about how they didn't put up income taxes. And you're kind of thinking, you did put up income taxes, you created a brand new one that we never had to worry about before. Um, but they didn't increase the thing called income tax. Mm. And and that was, you know, that's that's how they, they did it. That um, Spin. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the exact same thing. So so I think that's one of the big things with entrepreneurs that they have to worry about as well is that there's no support in a lot of countries for them. You know, even over here, if you set up your own company and you go in, if you hit a bad patch and you there's no support there, you can't go and sign on and get 
unemployment benefits or anything like that, without you'd actually have to decommission, shut down your company and stop trading. You're mm-hmm. kind of thinking, but hang on a second, you know, if you do that, then you have no chance of ever being able to get any more customers. Whereas if they had some kind of backup that, okay, you're going through a lean patch, you can keep your company, you can keep trying to market and get to see if it'll work. And for X amount of time, we'll give you some support as if you were an employee who was made redundant or whatever, that you'd get some kind of support for for a certain amount of time to find a new job that, that you do it. But you don't get that as a as a self-employed person, as a entrepreneur here um, in Ireland. Don't think you really get that over in the UK either. No. I mean, is there ever really such a thing as a as a low risk to any business? Because you are exposed when you're out on your own trying to get business, uh, trying to serve customers, trying to set up your own income stream. But at the same time, if you have the skills, you sh- it should it should be doable. So it should be, but it just kind of means though, like all those the supports that you were mentioning and the similar ones we have over here, the grants, the you know getting this, that, and the other, they're not yeah. really geared towards. They're geared towards companies that are almost successful by default. If you're successful, we'll give you a grant. And you're kind of thinking, yeah, but I'm not successful yet. I need certain supports in order to help me become successful. The grant is no good to me or the grant would be good to me now when I'm not successful. It's no good to me, you know, if I manage to get over this hump and I'm getting some momentum. The grant is nice to have at that stage, but I'd really like to be able to get the grant to get over the hump. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the and, thing with grants, sorry. Don't go ahead. Uh, the thing with grants is a lot of them usually come with uh, conditions attached to them. And so that. I guess if you're if you're looking at a grant, you just want to be wary. What does it restrict in terms of your behaviours? Mm. Whereas you know, again, it's coming back to do how free will you end up being if you take a handout from someone else? Yeah. So in that in that regard, bootstrapping is a lot better if you can do it. If you can if get you can it off the it, ground. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, very good point. I mean, you know, if you take the grant and you see an opportunity to pivot later on. Will you be able to take that opportunity, or will that mean you have to refund, you have to return the grant? Mm. Um, you know, it, it um, yeah it takes a lot of freedom away. Bootstrapping is obviously the best way to do it if you can. Mm. Um, but you know, how many entrepreneurs can? Mm. Well, only those with a with a successful um, network, I guess. And mm. and coming to network, you know, how do you build out a customer? customer list um some people you know a lot of people harvest emails um and some people will probably um create connections relationships with influencers or influential people decision makers in companies who have probably spending power behind them and again you know you don't necessarily have to be the best product but you have to be the best known in some way someone some way you'll recognize your top of mind when someone has a specific problem you need to solve you can solve shall we say and um you know there's no point being the best kept secret if if it means that a superior product doesn't doesn't create doesn't generate revenue right and i guess this is where the marketing comes in but it's not the only way you can create a potential customer or a lead i presume and again, with my dad, it was all about, you know, physical positioning. He was on the corner. He was part of a community. He had a neighborhood around him. And when they wanted convenience, they would just walk across the road, go into his shop, buy their bits and pieces, and then go home. And usually everyone knew that they'd probably been to the uh, out-of-town supermarket at that time. And they were only coming into the shop for the bits and pieces they forgot to buy then usually a last minute thing but again it's it all boils down to convenience and traffic as well so i guess one of the things that a business needs to be able to provide is they need to be in top of mind line of sight when there is a need and they have to be able to provide it with relatively low effort so again that convenience factor which again comes down to i guess how you serve the customer and coming back to an earlier point of yours, your back end. So the structure, your your um, uh, your delivery system, and and actually the quality of your product or service as well. That's it. And 
that's where the, the difficulty can be as well as as you said it's um to be top of mind when the need arises that um you know so even when you're doing your marketing you can't just do it in a big flurry now and you've got everybody knows you exist if it's a service or a product that people don't need right now they need it in six months time but in six months time they've forgotten all about your marketing your big flurry now and somebody else has come along and just happens because luck plays a big part in it i think that's another thing as well that you know entrepreneurs who fail aren't necessarily failing because they didn't do something they did something wrong they're failing because the luck just didn't go with them that the timing was just that bit off but they can react to it and they can you know um but once they don't lose complete hope and and just say ah it wasn't meant to be you know and give up that they just keep an eye on it and later on they might get another opportunity yeah and again this is where data and analytics come in right you could be aiming for a target with a bow and arrow with a blindfold on but if you have data you could at least see the target (laughs) and yeah i i think i agree luck plays a big part and it's how often you can like psychologically pick yourself up when you fail continuously because you never know it just might be that last attempt that next attempt and you're thinking well i've got to keep sticking with it and you think maybe is it that i need to adapt my behavior or approach or is it just the timing is wrong and this is the right strategy that 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 must be a killer as it were Mm. not knowing to get the balance right between when am I being persistent and when am I just being stubborn? Yeah. You know, persistent with a good idea but or too stubborn to change a bad idea. <laughs> and how do yeah. you know which is which? You know, that's the, the... And again, that's probably your network that you mentioned earlier, having yeah. a network around you that to listen to them, that, that they might be able to tell you, oh, look, that was just bad timing or, no, look, what your idea is just not that good. You need to adapt it. You need to pivot. You need to... It, 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 it's a great idea, but not for what you're trying to do. Go over here to this different market and that will take off. And if you persist and say, no, 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 this is my idea. This is this is who it's for. This is all, and this is what I'm doing. You know, if, you know, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That you, but, but then again, sometimes that is you. You were right in the end, but that was what it was. It was just the timing was wrong and you stuck with it until the timing became right. But. It's it's getting that right. That that well, that's the key to it, and that's where luck comes in. Yeah, you know that some some people some people are just unlucky that they'll think, okay, it's not working. I'll pivot, and actually, no, the pivot was the wrong pivot. That if they'd stuck with it, it would have kicked off. Others are the opposite. They needed the pivot, and they didn't. They just kept going, and they got it wrong. They they picked the, made the wrong choice. Um, others make the right choice, and it, it mm-hmm. just comes down to luck. That we're all the data analytics in the world. Sometimes these things can't be predicted because human nature is just unpredictable. Data in that, if, especially if you're starting out with something brand new, there is no data to shoot for mm. or, exactly. or to, to actually use to target or calibrate. So you only have data once you've actually established some form of history in order mm. to create that data. So it's just... Uh, the best uh, machine learning algorithm will do nothing without any history mm. unless you create fake data, which, again, is just another form of guessing, which yeah. is what you're doing anyway. You're you're applying heuristics based on, you know, your your creativity, your imagination, your dreams, if you will. And maybe that's something that at least with your dreaming um you've got sensory information albeit locked inside your brain inside your own experiences that perhaps tells you instinctively that this is the right direction (laughs) regardless of whatever anyone says especially the experts i mean you know when you were when you were talking just now i just thought about elon musk you know the way he one of his one of his um his sayings was something like, I don't know, X number of hours per week I work and people call me, say I'm lucky, you know. Um, so and he's someone who, to your point, I would imagine must have been super stubborn, super, super certain in himself when he was starting out. I mean, 
the number of times Tesla potentially was on the brink of complete failure and disaster only to be where it is now, like, what is it, the most valuable company in the world car at company. the moment? Yeah. Most valuable car company in the world, isn't it? Um, and, yeah, I mean, I suppose that's the, the key, like, the, the two classic um, quotes that you'll often see are, um, well, I'm going to paraphrase them because I can't remember the exact quotes. and Exactly. The thing. But, um, you know, Henry Ford, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse. Mm. Um for explaining why he didn't do market research prior to making the car. He just went and did it. He knew that was, and then Steve Jobs, you know, his, his one to paraphrase was that people don't know what they want until you show it to them. Mm. Yeah, so again, he didn't do market research. He didn't ask people, is this, which is what you're kind of told to do as an entrepreneur. You do market research, mm. you find out, you know, is there a demand for the product? They, two of the most successful ones and Elon Musk as well. Then he didn't do a lot of market research. He just figured, no, this is, there's going to be demand for this and did it and, and that can work but um, usually that fails you know most entrepreneurs you don't hear about the ones that fails because they never got big enough to be noticeable they failed when they were small by doing that so you know and probably like, market research yeah sorry. market research is needed um, I'd say most of the time but they're the exceptions and you hear about the exceptions and I think that leads a lot of entrepreneurs to think that's how you become big is by doing, just doing that and ignoring everything else and, and folks on it. But there are only three examples, and I can't really think of too many more. Yeah, it's very simplistic in, as a sort of approach to being a successful entrepreneur. And what what I think we've almost we're touching on now, what 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 we're discussing right now has got me thinking about as well that keeps coming up is. Not so much what you need to do to be successful, but what you need to not do to be to fail effectively. What are the mistakes you really need to avoid because they are like critical and life threatening to your business, even before you start or even when you start when you're when you're getting off the ground? What must you do not to not to mess things up to the extent that you cannot recover? So, again, um, it reminds me of this um, post I keep seeing about survivorship bias, where um, where these planes, you know, the, uh, in World War Two, they would return back and they would have mm. bullet holes in them. And the, the people would actually the engineers would actually reinforce the areas where there were bullet holes, not realizing actually it should have been the areas where where the bullet holes weren't because those were the planes that weren't coming back and you think oh mm. my god yeah that makes so much sense so really it's it's those areas that you need to focus on not not the areas where you know <laughs> the scars if you will if you're mm. if you're looking to hide your scars then maybe you're focusing or or to protect your scars then you're focusing on the wrong areas because these are the pe- these are the areas where people have survived and, and managed to overcome things. But it's, it's it's what has happened to those failed businesses. And I think ultimately what it all boiled down to, and I'm going to get into finance here, is they didn't have enough revenue to cover their costs. Simply put, and what for whatever reason. That's uh... I suppose that's, that's a big thing as well as overtrading is um, mm. successful companies that are very, very profitable or bust because they didn't have the revenue. They didn't have the cash mm. to do it. Um, and it's getting that balance right as well. I mean, you'll see in an awful lot of the books on, you know, successful entrepreneurship and, and all this. And they're telling you and, and you mentioned it earlier on and it is right to a certain degree, but it's getting the timing right. Um, outsource the stuff that you don't do. You do certain things really well. So outsource the other stuff. Mm. But. Don't outsource them until you have the money to do it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know, um, a lot of people will just try to outsource quickly and, you know, I can't do that, get somebody else in. and they'll. But then they've got bills that they have to pay before they are making profits, whereas mm-hmm. it might be better off, well, you know, I don't do this well, but come up with some kind of a system where I can do it well enough for a while before I have to mm-hmm. to get somebody else in. And by the same token, then you've got the other extreme where lots of people fail because because they, they try to do everything themselves, even things that they're no good at. Yeah. You know, awesome. and it's, it, it's again, it's like we, we said earlier, it, it's getting that balance right. That's where being a successful entrepreneur is, finding the balance. You've got the balance between being stubborn and being persistent, you yeah. know, to, to, to not be too much to get that right. 
And then you've got the balance between trying to do too much mm. and trying to outsource too much and, and giving yourself expenses that you don't need early on. Um, trying to get that balance right as well. That um, mm. all seems to be all about balance. I think the, the more we we talk, the more it comes back to that extremes either way. But the problem is, the people you hear about succeeding are the extremists. Yeah, and therefore everybody thinks. I need to be extreme in order to succeed. And they're kind of not realizing yet, but, you know, like just a minute ago, there, there were, we, we mentioned Henry Ford, Steve Jobs, and uh, Musk, who were extremists when it came to market research. They did no research. They said, no, people wouldn't. They don't know what they want. We have to design it. We know what they want, and we'll design it, show it to them, and they'll buy it. Mm. But, you know, most companies that do that, most people that do that, most entrepreneurs that do that, fail. But you never hear of them because they failed way before they got big enough to be heard of. You can maybe if you put a lot of thought into it, you come up with half a, a handful more people that did that that just pushed ahead. But they're the exceptions. But they're the exceptions you hear of and therefore a new entrepreneur will come along and somebody new has a business idea mm. and they'll try to copy that. And mm. they're leaving themselves out. I mean how many thousands, if not millions of people have tried to set up a business and been stubborn and failed long before they, they reached any level of people hearing of them they're the only three and as i said maybe if you put a lot of thought in you'd get a handful more but yeah it's definitely not the, the, it's not a high probability of success you need to do the market research and you need to and there are a lot of companies that do that and a lot of very successful companies as big as tesla ford and, and well, maybe mm-hmm. not apple because they're the biggest at the moment but you know very successful companies that do that but again because they didn't do anything spectacular you don't hear of it they just yeah. happen to be big companies. IBM, for instance, you know, that was one of the biggest companies of its day. It was the Apple of its day, but it, it just did things. And it's still a very large company, even though now it's been mm. overtaken by a lot. It's not like it has shrunk. It's just other companies have overtaken it. Yeah. And yeah, enough, don't let don't let the truth get in the way of a good story, as they say. You know, mm. if it's not compelling, if there's no no interesting challenges, and, and that's always... That's always interesting. Um, one of the other balances, I think, in entrepreneurship, which I would add, is that balance between your product and your marketing. So mm-hmm. how 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 you get that service out has to, you know, I, I've heard people say it's 60, 40, 60 percent has to be marketing to get the attention. But it depends on who you're trying to serve. If it's about if if the product doesn't have to be that great or you know MVP will solve the problem, then great. If it's something where you're targeting people who are fussy, who do need that certain high level of, I don't know, prestige, then it's probably almost like you just focus on serving those people and let them refer it to their friends and that's how you succeed. So, again, I think positioning and market segment will play into what type of strategy you have in terms of resource allocation and and that's that's probably my thoughts on that but um yeah coming back to getting your service out it's really around connecting to your customer and understanding it understanding them their needs their personas their desires and their gaps because if everyone was being serviced and everyone was satisfied there would be no need for any new products or services we'd be in nirvana thankfully people are so dissatisfied they always want more so there's always going to be opportunity i think yeah and yeah but i think that's you know ultimately the 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 key takeaway really from Mm. this is for an entrepreneur it's it's all about balance it's getting that balance right Mm. And that's something that you have to work out for your own your own situation. You know, what's your market? What's your product or service? And what are you like? But don't try to copy the extremists yeah. that have maybe been successful because they're the exceptions. And mm-hmm. most people aren't the exception. If they were, it wouldn't be they. They wouldn't be exceptions. They'd be the norm, and they're not the norm. <laughs> yeah. um, because there was a lot. There'd be a lot of very successful entrepreneurs, I think, who um, failed because. They tried to emulate an extremist. If they'd have been more willing to to balance, their idea probably would have been very successful with a few small tweaks. 
Mm. And I think in general, it's good practice not to try and copy anyway. Mm. Why be a second rate version of someone else when you can be focus on what you're good at and be a first rate version of you? Exactly. I mean, there's one of them. I can't remember which book I, I, I recall reading. And that was something along the, the lines of what he was. He said in the book was um, don't mm. try to be the next Google. Google is already there. Nobody needs another one. You try to be the next, the, the, the forced something else. Mm. If, 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 um, it's a lot easier than to try and and just copy something that already exists. But having said that, most successful products and services are something that already exists, tweaked mm. to make it slightly better. Yeah. You know, Google itself was just the next search engine. There was Yahoo, there was Ask Jeeves or whatever. Ask there Jeeves, a few. Yeah. yeah, there were a few that existed before and they just tweaked it and had a better algorithm for, for people. And the same Apple, you know, computers existed before Apple. They, even the, the graphical user interface that, that they pioneered, that wasn't theirs existed, but they aimed at a different market and mm-hmm. tweaked it and made it better. Microsoft then effectively stole it and well, Microsoft it are great at stealing from Apple, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. And, and then the, the, the greatest, you know, the, the the current big thing that's made Apple the biggest company in the world, the iPhone. Smartphones existed before the iPhone. Apple just improved on yeah. on them. And again, that's where they, they went better than everybody else because, mm. you know, Samsung and, and Google initially with Android, they didn't, they just tried to steal, you know, copy what um, BlackBerry were doing. You know, the original Android phones were, were uh, BlackBerry knockoffs. Um, then they see what Apple came up with and they turned them into iPhone knockoffs effectively. You know, you, you can, you have all the, the, yeah. the people who, but the Android is very based on iPhone, or at least the original one. You know, yeah. they've gone now, they've, they've split out and, you know, you have people who prefer one or the other, but at the beginning it, it wasn't. Samsung had, had and still have a reputation for that. They, they would, you know, when, when Nokia would go and use Samsung to help build some of their things, suddenly Samsung phones were very Nokia-like. Then mm. they were copying BlackBerry, and now they they copy iPhones and and the likes. That that it's um you know, but they just copied something that existed, and they never really got the success. Apple came up with a brand new take on an existing uh, thing, and became very successful, and are still very successful. I mean, even though the others have copied them now and have tried to come up with you know other things. But most of the profits in the smartphone industry go to Apple and and not to the others. You know, Samsung might have the bigger market share, but it's because of cheaper products that gets them the market share. The, the profitable products are all Apple. At one stage, I think Apple generated 105% of the... At one point, it was for one quarter, a good few years ago, but they got 105% of the profits in the smartphone industry. So what that effectively meant was all the profits were going to them and everybody else was making losses. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's quite that level now, but it's still something like 80 or 90% usually of the profits in the smartphone industry go to Apple, even though they don't have the biggest market share. But that's because the others haven't really come up with an improvement. Now, Apple haven't improved on it much either. It's all iterative at this stage. But but that's the difference between just copying yeah. what's already there and actually improving on it, coming up with a different take that will service a different market. If you want to be a big, successful company, you know, which is not all entrepreneurs, most entrepreneurs aren't. They just small and they're insane. But if you're aiming to be one of the big successful ones, you won't necessarily get that by inventing something from scratch brand new. What you'll get it from is seeing something that's there now and seeing a way to improve it. Mm. That matters. That's a that's a very I agree with you completely on that. It's it's taking something that's already successful and making it even better and probably more creative by combining it with something else. Because again, if you try and if you try to copy something, you're probably risking being classed as a knockoff. But at the same time, if you try something from scratch, you're basically gambling. So it's trying to get again coming to your point that balance between taking something that's a proven strategy that works and then extending it so it's something perceived as completely different that does the job better than its predecessor. And maybe it's taking a model out of context and then putting it in some other market and seeing how that takes off. And again, there's so many ways you can 
create a successful strategy, nothing has to be completely greenfield. Yeah. Wow. I think any other thoughts do you think? Well, I think um that's that's entrepreneurship in a in a nutshell for <laughs> for most people it's sticking you'd just be a small effectively self employed with some maybe some employees. Mm. Um and that's entrepreneurship just as much as being the the next, you know, multi billion dollar trillion dollar company. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's the exact same thing just on different scales mm. that will do it. That you know, even if you're just a plumber going out and setting up your own plumbing practice why should people hire you rather than sticking with who they've got already? Yeah, exactly. Which doesn't necessarily it. mean that it doesn't mean that your plumbing is going going to be out and spectacular. It just maybe means that you'll give a better service. You'll be there quicker. Hmm. You know, but, whatever. But do you need to be there quicker if if you're the only one that the customer knows? Well, that's the thing. <laughs> Especially with plumbers, I've I've had great ones. I've had awful ones, and it's it's who's available at the time. And um, who do you know? In fact, best thing I did, because um, I was sticking to one plumber for the last eight years, they char- they overcharge and they're not very good. But because they were ignoring me, I had to switch plumbers. And the plumber I got, he, he came in within, uh, normally I wait a couple of weeks. He came in the following day and he did the job within an hour and no issues. Actually, my boiler works better than ever. And he charged me less. That's the other thing. So, again, it's that complacency. Once you've got recognition and no one really challenges things, you can probably milk your customer base as long as you don't you don't take too many liberties with it. So, yeah, but there's always someone who's probably cheaper and better who's willing to do it for less. And you just wonder, I mean, ethically, is that right to just exploit it? Because, again, you know, I think the other thing about business is really what we haven't covered in entrepreneurship is that trust equation is do you want to be seen to be exploiting either your customer or your suppliers? Or your, I mean, suppliers as well. Like with with that, with your plumber that that you've got the new plumber, where mm. he could be falling down now is the marketing that yeah. that you know people don't know he exists. That he, they don't know how good he is. And mm. um, but again, he probably doesn't need to at the moment because there's a shortage of plumbers. Um, mm. But you'd think that with the other crowd that you left, eventually they'll fail because more and more people will find a new plumber or somebody like them who uh, will do it. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, we'll probably do that for the, the next one. Yeah. This podcast shares experiences and insights gained from business, IT and digital finance. Hosted by two leaders who have made the leap themselves, this show is dedicated to helping listeners think differently about their career aspirations.